0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. I am Astuti Marto Sudirjo. Through my work as a life coach and a subconscious mind reprogrammer, I learned some instrumental lessons about how we can uplift ourselves and our lives. And this is indeed a channel to share this with you all. Conflict is the topic of this episode. The year 2020 has kicked off so powerfully for every one of us in this globe asking us all to go within, within our space, within our heart, within our relationships. Coronavirus pandemic absolutely accelerates this immensely. The thing is, the journey inwards brings up so many things within us that we may have neglected or suppressed for a long time. Today's discussion is about conflict, its causes, and how to avoid or overcome conflict as this is the key to success in all relationships, whether romantic, in the workplace, or with your loved ones like your children, siblings, or parents. I'm joined today by Kelly Brantley. You may already know Kelly from her first appearance in this channel when she spoke about conscious dating. Kelly is a scientific dating and relationship coach, certified matchmaker, speaker, and workshop presenter who lives in Zurich, Switzerland. She is known as the dating after divorce coach because she helps clients around the globe get back into the dating scene and find love again after divorce. She is a very loved guest here. As she has a lot always to share. Lessons that may help all of us to be more conscious about conflict, overcoming or avoiding. Welcome back, Kelly! Hi, Astudi. It's so good to be back with you. I'm
1: so excited. <laughs> Me too. Thank you for coming back with
0: other topics. We have a lot of topics.
1: <laughs> always, always, always lots to talk about when we get together. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. The first thing that I would like to know is, of course, you are known as dating after divorce coach, but do you only work with divorce singles?
1: So yeah, I'm known as the dating after divorce coach, because that's my area of specialty. And uh, I love that area, given my own personal story. (laughs) But I'm also trained as a relationship coach. And so I do work with couples as well, whether they're in long term relationships or married. So I can certainly speak to both the the single and the committed uh, listeners today. (music)
0: So Kelly, certainly in this time of coronavirus, we have this lockdown, isolation, work-from-home situations, and many people, especially many couples, will have noticed that conflict has increased. This could be the most joyful experience of bonding (laughs) or (laughs) health for many. (laughs) So what will you be able to share with the listeners to help ease the situation?
1: Well, I'd like to share sort of three key areas. So right. one is a framework, mm-hmm. which I think will help people better understand their spouse in this time. And then I'd like to share what conflict is and sort of the mm. different types of conflict. That yes, people... perfect. And then, of course, I won't let your listeners go away without any <laughs> tools. So definitely I'll ser- share some really simple but highly effective tools that they can implement, which will hopefully help ease some of the issues they may be facing at the moment. Yeah. What about the single people? Would you be
0: able to give them any advice also dealing with this situation?
1: Yeah. So what I will do is um, I'll talk a little bit about how relationships work. And I think the mm. singles will get some insight in maybe why they've had some problems in the past mm-hmm. um, and what they can do about that in the future. So I think that'll be very valuable for everyone. I mean, again, it. It's hard to differentiate between singles yeah. and, and couples, but and I couples, think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be good stuff. So yeah, everyone, exactly. keep listening. <laughs> keep
0: listening. There are two. This is what I find also very useful, Kelly. I think when we're talking about romantic relationship, I can see a lot of these nuggets apply to any all kinds of other relationships that yes. I have. I, even though there, parts a large parts of this is about that kind of relationship in the in, in, in romantic setup, this is actually applicable for many things.
1: It does. And, and a lot of my clients say that they're really surprised that they come in for relationship coaching or dating coaching and they leave with, you know, better relationships with their boss or with yes. their parents and children yes. and stuff. So
0: what are we actually
1: talking about when we conflict? I mean, you kind of alluded to this at the beginning, and I want to sort of clarify this mm. from my perspective, because I think a lot of people see conflict as bad mm. or negative. And actually, conflict in itself isn't good or bad. It's actually mm-hmm. um, quite neutral. And, and I like to think of conflict as a tool that we can use. Mm -hmm. Um, because when we have a conflict with someone, it actually is an opportunity for us to get to know them better and to know what's important to them and what they need. And when we go into conflict, actually what we're trying to do is we're trying to break down invisible walls that get built up between two people. What's important to keep in mind about conflict is it's not whether or not you have conflict, that's important. It's about how do you deal with the conflict? Like mm. How does that process evolve between two people? And then how do you repair after conflict? Mm. So how do you make it good? And this will predict whether or not a relationship stays healthy or, en- or becomes unhealthy over time. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at conflict, a lot of people believe it's because two people have different views. And of course, this is important, but it's not the full story. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can think of lots of examples where you've been with somebody and you both have different opinions on something It doesn't turn to conflict. Actually, it becomes this really interesting discussion Discussion. and debate and you both learn a little bit from each other. Yes. What makes a difference between two opinions that aren't aligned Mm. and then it becoming conflict? And- Actually, if we look at it, there's sort of four underlying areas that actually lead to conflict. And it's, it's the perceived imbalance. Sometimes okay. it's not even factual. But yeah. what are these four areas? So the areas are time, energy, space, and matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when, when two people think that they should be spending more or less time together, it can cause a conflict. When they're investing more or less energy in an area of life, It can lead to conflict. Space. So people have different needs. And this is something with coronavirus, we're all (laughs) learning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, some people need a lot of space and some people need a little space and some people are forced. I mean, I have one client who's living with her partner in a studio apartment. And I think, oh my gosh, when you have different needs for space, I mean, of course, this is built-in conflict, is that, yes. Right? yes, correct.
0: <laughs> brewing um, and brewing.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and headphones have become this great space creator between people. It's like, yes. I need space. I'm putting my headphones on. Leave me alone for a few minutes. <laughs> yes. And then the last one is matter. So this is where we're giving more or less. And this can be financial um, contribution. This can be gifts, paying for things. So it can show up in a lot of different ways. Maybe. Yeah. And this is where when you look at these two things together, our underlying beliefs mm-hmm. or opinions form our expectations in each mm-hmm. of these four areas. And this is how we believe the world should work. So if you're somebody that believes, you know, um, I should spend every weekend with my spouse and we should be doing things together, you know, that's your expectation. Whereas your spouse may have grown up in a different family where it was normal that you did your own thing on the weekend. Yeah important that we talk about these things and really come up to a point of clarification of how we do this. So when we have this ba- an imbalance in a relationship, mm-hmm. it can cause conflict. What I think is really interesting, and I when I first started doing relationship work, I started working with couples together. And then I, and I, we talked about this last time. And then I started working with the individuals. And yeah. people often ask me why I started doing that. And One of the reasons is, is that conflict starts with the individual Mm. because Mm. it's us that perceives this imbalance, right? And how we then go about that is oftentimes not a very direct approach, but it's a sort of indirect in the extreme. It becomes very passive aggressive that we're not getting our needs met. And so we're trying to find a way to do this. Right now, when I work with couples, I start by working with, with one of the couples. Mm. And maybe it's helpful. I can give you um, an example of
0: of one of my clients.
1: Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, I'll call her Sue um, just to protect her identity. But Sue came to me and basically she's been married for 12 years to her husband, Thomas. And she told me that she's been really unhappy in this relationship for quite some time. Mm -hmm. She was wanting to know if she should actually leave and divorce him. So that was kind of the main question she came with. When we looked at what was sort of driving this, so she said, one, she felt that he was taking her for granted, that he never did anything around the house, mm-hmm. which is a, a common complaint. Um, he works too much. So he's out of the house a lot. Then he, when he is home, he spoils their children. Mm. Which the whole she structure she like. put in place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he comes home and yeah, <laughs> they're allowed to do what they want. And it's mayhem. <laughs> Um, and then another common one I hear is that he expects sex from her um, mm. and she doesn't think that this is, is reasonable given the tension in the relationship and the situation. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of my clients, um, they come to me for advice, but they think they already know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so Sue was convinced that the problem had to be Thomas's mother. Oh, she had okay. spoiled him. Yeah. She had spoiled him as a child. Mm-hmm. And so he had these unrealistic expectations of what a wife should do and how she should behave. And she was never going to fix this. So mm-hmm. this was sort of her rationale for why things There's were kind a of over. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things that we started talking about when we first met is what a lot of people do is you try and go into this situation at the belief level Mm-hmm. with the goal of trying to convince the other person that you're right and they're wrong. Mm, right or wrong. So, yes. Yeah. This is a so killer. So she believed um, that, or she does still believe in some ways that the um, household chores should be shared 50, 50. Yeah. Cause this is what she experienced as a child. Thomas experienced it very differently. His father worked, his mom was at home. And so he believes that the man should work and earn the money and, the wife should stay home and look after the household and children. Very, very common. I mean, so yes. many people have these differences of opinions, right? And so what was happening though is she was spending years trying to convince him that his view of the world was wrong. And I can't say this never works, but I say this almost this never, never works, works to try and convince somebody <laughs> that they're wrong. With. And so what I did in working with Sue is we started to look at how each of these main conflict areas mm. for her relate to these four areas. So her believing that she was being taken for granted yeah. was related to the fact that she had a perceived imbalance in the amount of energy that was right. being put into the relationship. That he wasn't home enough. It be- she believed that his work was more important than her. Yeah. Right? He was putting more energy there. Again, mm. with the children, there was an imbalance there. Like she felt she was working so hard all day and wanted to spend this quality time with the kids. Well, no, but she couldn't find the time that she mm. felt she wanted to dedicate to the kids. Mm. He was coming home after a long day at work. And she was jealous of the fact that he could come home and just sort of hang shut out off and <laughs> hang out with the kids and play and be silly. And they were laughing and she's in the kitchen cleaning and here's the laughter. And she thought, this isn't fair. Yeah. And then the sex was, again, this imbalance of sexual energy. Mm. So... One of the first things we did is looking at, okay, how does she perceive the energy in terms of time? And I got her to make a piece of paper with two columns. On one column, she wrote out all the things that she does for the family and the household and yeah. all the time that it was linked yeah. to. And then I got her to write out all the time that Thomas invests in different areas. So She had approached it at the, okay, I spent so many minutes a day cleaning toilets, and he spends zero minutes cleaning toilets. I vacuum. And of course, it's imbalanced. But then when I got her to look and say, okay, well, how much time does he spend at work? How much time is he in the garden or fixing things? And when we went through this process together, it became clear to her that actually, it was pretty balanced in terms of energy, but in different areas. And so there's a really um, important concept here, which is what we call cognitive distortion. Mm. When we choose to believe something, we always look for the evidence that supports our own belief. Yes. And we ignore the evidence that contradicts our belief. Yes. For Sue, this was a main issue. She could not see all the stuff Thomas was doing because it conflicted her belief that I do everything and he does nothing. I understand. Yeah. That's quite
0: a revelation, huh?
1: Yeah, it is. And interestingly, once we went through this process, I mean, for her, it was this sort of breakthrough light bulb moment. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I didn't think. "Ah!" Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, almost in a way. And then this issue kind of dissolved and Thomas didn't have to do anything different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is where I said it often comes down to starting with the individual. The perception
0: of the situation.
1: Okay. Exactly. And Another interesting one was the sex problem actually Mm. was impacted by this because what Sue didn't realize is subconsciously, she was trying to balance the energy. So she was putting a lot of energy into the house and the children's stuff. And the only way she could balance that out was by withholding energy in the bedroom, right? So she didn't realize she was doing this, but when you withhold energy for intimacy, of course, over time, you disconnect from your spouse. Mm-hmm. She was finding Thomas less attractive. Like, all mm-hmm. these issues were coming up. And when we started to explore this on an energy level, mm-hmm. again, she realized that she, that this is what she was doing in terms of withholding that. And so mm-hmm. when we solved the issue about being taken for granted, she suddenly had more energy or was willing to invest more energy in intimacy, and of course, it's not so simple as that. There's some more work that goes on, but yes. it was sort of the foundation to start that process.
0: So, so was he was then perceiving that actually being intimate is taking energy rather than her recharging?
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. she was seeing that as another investment yes. she had to make.
0: To make, yes. Instead yeah. of reaping something and bringing energy in to her.
1: Exactly. Okay. And then another important concept that we worked on is this one about um, him not being home in the evenings and spending time and how that happens. So the approach that we looked at there is one about projection. And so oftentimes what happens is when we have our own beliefs, we project that onto other people. And this can be your spouse or your boss or your Mm. parents and think they think exactly the same. Yeah. And so I asked her, I said, you know, when Thomas isn't home in the evening, what does this mean to you? And she said, well, if I wasn't coming home in the evenings, it would mean either I don't love my husband anymore or I've fallen in love with somebody else. Oh, my God. Okay. So okay. he's not coming home and she's got this story. Yes, right? <laughs> narratives. Active narratives in the mind. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, most of the time, these stories have have no mm-hmm. basis in the reality of what's going on. Yeah. But of mm-hmm. course, this is what's what she was telling herself. And so, I'm, of course, you're feeling rejected and lonely and sad when, when that's what you're telling yourself every night, you know? The key on this one was learning how to communicate her needs better. And, you know, everyone, when you talk about relationships, it's always about how to communicate and stuff like yeah. this. And it's true. I mean, it is fundamentally true. But I think people miss often the point of it's not just about learning communication techniques Mm -hmm. but it's why are you communicating and it's we forget to communicate what we need to our partner Mm, yes if we don't tell them what they need and I like to use this analogy and I wish I knew where I heard this from because it's I didn't make this up I heard it somewhere but I think it's phenomenal there's this idea of being in a relationship is like being in in a theater play and so you're expecting your spouse to react and behave in a certain way. So this is where the should comes in. He should yes. do this. She should do that. Yeah. And it's like we're in this play together, but we've never given our partner the manuscript. Mm. Yes. So we're expecting them to know where to stand and how to respond to my line, but we've mm-hmm. never told them their lines. Yes. Yes. And it's so unrealistic to expect them to they knew, know knew they would know. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes, with couples with children, this is even harder because oftentimes they put their children's first and Mm -mm. not their relationship. And God knows you are somewhere at the bottom (laughs) individually. So it requires much more conscious efforts, no? Absolutely, absolutely. To keep this communication going.
1: If we have time at the end, I'd love to come back and talk about um, a concept called the couple bubble which exactly talks um, about this at this point. Yeah. Okay. Exactly.
0: So I'm so curious about if you can share any techniques to better communicate your needs, because this is difficult first and Mm -hmm. foremost, because it requires you to be vulnerable. This is also the other thing to admit to yourself that you have a needs. Sometimes you feel embarrassed for having some needs sometimes you feel embarrassed to ask for help. This is why you expect other people to help you to know that you need to be helped. But I also want to throw it through one in before this. I don't know if we should speak about this after the communication
1: (laughs) jealousy, Kelly. Oh yes. Is it, is it better to speak about it here or later? Why don't we come back to that later? Yeah. Because um, okay. we'll talk about some sort of principles about yes. relationships, and I think it'll fit really well into that. Perfect. So let's okay. come back to that. Yes. So one, one model that I teach my clients is, I call it the SSNA model, and it stands for state, story, need, and ask. Yes. So what you want to do is you first want to state the facts. hmm I'm going to say this again, state the facts. (laughs) This means, yes, (laughs) something that if 100 people saw this happen, they would all say the same thing. So not your interpretation or judgment, but the facts. Mm -hmm. Then you want to tell the person you're communicating with what your story is. So what are you telling yourself about this fact? Then you state your needs. Yes. And then you ask them to meet your needs and you can explain to them how best they can do this. Yeah. So when X happens, um, let's say when you come home from work at nine o'clock at night, and again, this is a fact, you come home at nine. If you say, when you come home late from work, this is a judgment. And this is then immediately perceived as a criticism, right? Yes. So when you come home at 9 p.m., the meaning I give this is that you no longer love me. Yes. Right? So, and then I feel sad and I'm lonely and I'm hurt. What I would really like is if we could spend the evening together and you would come home, we'd have dinner together, you'd help me put the kids together, and then we'd sit on the sofa for an hour and and talk like we used to. And the best way that you could do this would be to come home at, say, 6 o'clock, three nights a week. Mm. And how would this feel for you? So once you've gone through the SSNA model, then you need to sort of let go of the outcome. Yes. Yeah, you need to let go of the outcome. Yeah. And then you need to let the other person respond. And, you know, depending on where they're coming from, they may ask more questions about your needs. They may negotiate on the how, mm-hmm. but then you can have a dialogue and then mm-hmm. you can come find, find a solution in that. And I find this model is incredibly simple, but so effective in helping people learn to better communicate with their spouse or with a boss. Even this works really well um, mm-hmm. and get those needs expressed. Yeah.
0: How about they respond in the way that
1: they attack or criticize nah. what you're saying?
0: <laughs> this is the point where a lot of people were feeling like, I need to be vulnerable and I'm not sure if the person can yeah. respect this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's also, I get that question a lot. What if my spouse doesn't know this model? Like, how are we supposed to have this discussion? And it's true. I mean, they may come at you with an attack. Yes. Like a full-out criticism. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love, there's a family therapist, his name's Terrence Real, and I love his work. Okay. And he has this model, which is exactly (laughs) for this. He calls it the help desk model. Okay. Okay. And so the idea of this model is that when your partner comes at you with a conflict or criticism, what we tend to do by nature is we tend to want to one-up them. Yes, so they've criticized, so then we come with an even bigger criticism. And it might not be relevant at all. It could be a criticism for something they something did a year else. ago, yes, right? that's true. That's true. We're <laughs> just going into the memory banks and throw it back at them. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and then you get into this, it's an eye for an eye, right? Like, you mm-hmm. did this, oh, but you did this, and this was 10 times worse. And, we get, and this just creates arguing and fighting, and it can get really nasty. Yeah. So the idea with the help desk model is whenever someone comes at you with a criticism is you need to react like you're a customer service representative. Mm. And in this, your full purpose is to one, listen to what they're saying, mm-hmm. to validate what they're saying, mm-hmm. and then to give all that you can give to rectify the situation. Mm-hmm. So again, I think examples help us see this. So I always. Just yes. Yep. Let's say you're going to Apple because your iPad isn't working. Yes. Right. So you walk up to the customer service desk and you start to explain to them, the iPad's not working. When I go to start it, you know, this happens, whatever. And the person behind the desk says, oh, you know, you've got this problem, but let me tell you about my problems. You know, this morning Mm -hmm. on my way to work, somebody cut me off and my child forgot his homework and I had to, you know, go back and do this. As the person with the problem, you're thinking, what is going on here? Yeah. Right? You would never expect somebody to react like that as a customer service. But we do this in relationships all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: seems so (laughs) obvious, right? It seems so obvious.
1: Sometimes we're not talking about the same
0: thing. Most of the time, we're not talking about the same thing.
1: (laughs) So it's, again, being conscious and learning. So when somebody comes with the criticism to respond and And I love the word generosity. Mm. I mean, we need to be much more generous in our relationships with our partners and not withhold. So when they come with this criticism, think, you know, how can I make this good for them? Yeah. And what can I give that? Yeah. a lot of times it doesn't even cost you much to give them what they need. Yes. You know, and think about it when you go to Apple and they say, oh, we'll just give you a new iPad. Mm. I mean, it costs them very little to do that. I yes. mean, if you had to buy a new one, it would cost you a lot. But for yes. them and in relationships, it's how can you give generously? Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and if you have then a criticism to them, make your own appointment with the customer service desk. Like don't, don't tag it on the end, you know, like yes. complete that sort of issue and then make another time to bring your own um, issue forward and not try and complicate it by mixing all types of um, <laughs> issues into one.
0: You are also saying that understanding the conflict can help singles. Yes. Understand some of their own relationship patterns. What is important for them to know?
1: Again, singles and couples, I hear this a lot. People don't understand sort of the normal cycle of a relationship, mm-hmm. and every relationship actually goes through the six or the same six phases. So this whether you're single true. and in a long-term one, yeah. Um, so every relationship starts out with with the sort of romantic love. Yes this is this really fantastic start with all these hormones and this euphoria. And this is so wonderful. And we call this the honeymoon. Yeah. Because inevitably what happens is we need to then adjust to reality with this person. Mm-hmm. Adjusting to reality means you start to see the little things that maybe annoy you that you didn't see in the beginning. Yeah. And the adjustment phase always Always, 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 with one hundred percent results in a conflict and a crisis. Mm, yes. So now you should expect this to happen. Expect it. it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It, it can look different in some relationships. This goes on for weeks, months, and it's really intense. In other ones, it's it's much more contained and minor. But it yes. always happens. Yes. Yes. And. This point, this crisis is actually the point where the relationship begins. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, and as I said, conflict isn't bad. Conflict in this point of the relationships helps us really get to know that other person and what's really important to them.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And so you go through what we call the power struggle. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where each person's trying to sort of lay their territory, figure out, you know, how are we going to communicate long-term? What's going to be important to us? You bring up those really important issues like, you know, um, where are we going to live? How are we going to live? Are we going to have children? Mm. Are we going to be a big extended family with aunts and uncles and cousins? Or are we going to be a little, you know, family of four? All those things discussed at that point of the relationship. And then you go into what we call the re-evaluation of the relationship. And that's the question, do I stay or do I go? Right. And a lot of relationships will end at that point.
0: Yeah. Because I was going to say, if they are not willing to address all these questions that would come up in the face of adjusting, mm-hmm. I mean, they have no future, basically.
1: No. Yeah. Well... how do they? Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. Okay. Well, well what we say... Oftentimes, we'll see people who are in a relationship for five or 10 years, and then they break up. Yes. Everybody's shocked. It's like, why did they break up after this? Well, what happens is you can get stuck at this sort of fourth phase of the relationship, this reevaluation. For a long time. And what we do is we, we call this settling, basically. Ah, yes. Yes. So you you think, you know, this is kind of as good as it's going to get. I'm not really, really happy in this relationship, but I'm not totally unhappy. Mm-hmm. And so you go into this kind of recurring cycle of it's good for a while. Then we fight a lot, then it gets better. And people can stay in this settling cycle indefinitely. I mean, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not uncommon to see people for a decade. Yeah. Um, but what happens is, is the underlying needs of the people aren't clear and they often don't share the same values in life. Yeah. You know, so people can fight for years of should we have children or not? And, you know, they spent 10 years arguing over this point. Yes.
0: And also, Kelly, would you say this is also the point where the external expectation play a big part? For example, divorce is taboo in some countries. So they do the settling basically exactly. there okay yeah
1: so those are the the unfortunate couples that get stuck in that phase but
0: yeah
1: the the 5 and 6 mm. phases of the relationship is actually the best part yeah. so if you can navigate as a couple through these challenging and this power struggle you can go to what we call reconciliation mm-hmm. which is basically where you've managed to negotiate with each other your rules for mm. communication expectations and then you get to the most amazing part of a relationship with it, which is acceptance. Mm. You accept the person for who they are. You create unconditional love with each other. Mm-hmm. And then the relationship goes to a point that's way higher than the honeymoon phase, which yeah. we call bliss. Yeah. And this yeah. is this absolute feeling of security and stability and trust. And this is what people ultimately look for Wanted. in a relationship. Yeah yeah people don't yeah. go through it yeah.
0: exactly. I have a question. This is exactly what your your last sentence is about. This fifth and sixth stages, can this be achieved when only one of the couples are more aware of this and proactively working on her or himself while the other one is less aware or not even aware?
1: Or yes open? Okay. absolutely but it's not a given. Okay. So when one of the couple is very into growth and development, yeah. in a lot of cases, they will raise the other person to a better version of themselves. Okay. Just so by will... working on her or himself. Okay. Exactly. They will call the other person to step up and, yeah. and sort of meet them where they are. Yeah. But that doesn't always happen. I mean, in some mm-hmm. relations, the, the other person pulls the other person down. Down. Yeah. 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 Um. And I mean, I think we could have a whole other podcast just talking <laughs> yes. about how these dynamics work. <laughs> but one of the things, and again, this is something I do a lot with with the work and I do with singles, is how can you sort of better create a chance that you get to stage five and six with somebody? Yes, yes. And that's about being really clear for yourself what your values are. Mm-hmm. So I talk mm-hmm. a lot about this um, key life values. Yes. And these are the things that, really make us who we are. Yeah. And science shows that when we find a partner who shares these key life values with us, it removes a lot of the potential for conflict because yes. we anyways think alike. So it's like marriage, I we both want to get married, we both want to live in the country, we both want to, you know, be active in a church and give, you know, beyond ourselves whatever these things are that are important yes. to you. When you're looking for a partner, if you find somebody who shares a lot of your same values, you have a much greater chance of getting to this state of bliss with that person. Otherwise, you know, I mean, when you start out with completely different views of the world, Um, it's conflict ridden, right? Yes. And this is also why any relationship
0: is requiring a lot of investment. Understanding the other person is key. Because otherwise, <laughs> it's like a horrendous experience exactly. or uplifting one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So a couple other points for the singles that I think it's important to make besides the, the key life values, just to remind everyone, everyone goes through this conflict stage because I hear a lot of my divorce singles who keep going, repeating relationships. Mm-hmm. And they say, mm-hmm. you know, I can get into a relationship, but it lasts three or six or nine months. And then we start fighting and then it's over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's because they don't understand this is a natural part of the process. Yes. But also this honeymoon phase, typically when we're younger, this honeymoon phase can last up to two years, especially for people who are sort of middle-aged and have been married and divorced. It tends to be much shorter. And yes. so I see with my clients that the honeymoon oftentimes lasts about six months before they enter. And this is because you're bringing a lot of you know experience and knowledge and Many people come with these packs. I will never go through this again with another partner. Mm. And this mm. is so dangerous because mm-hmm. once you've set this pact, um, you become very black and white. You know? mm-hmm. And as soon as, as soon as this new person you're with displays a characteristic that you've said, I will never deal with that again, a lot of people end the relationship. And so for singles, it's important to really sort of understand this timeline and, and where you're at in your own relationship. Yes. Honeymoon phase
0: for stage, this can last for longer than six months. Basically, that's what you're saying.
1: It can. It, yeah. Six months to two years is sort of what science kind of says is, is okay. the norm, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that explains a lot of why. Um <laughs> You know, people get into these relationships; they go really quickly. You know, they might get married or move in together really quick in the honeymoon phase. Yes, and then they come to this point where they think the person I'm with is not the person I thought I was with.
0: Yes, yes, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, it's like they change, and I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe <no. laughs> because you see them closer. That's what if they're not changing. They're like this, but then you see something else. Well, so I yeah. wonder, this is a seven years itch come from then?
1: That's an interesting one. I think there's um. We go through cycles in life, actually. So the seven-year itch is actually um, a life concept mm. that um, our sort of physical being goes through yes. changes every seven, seven years. years. Yes. Yeah, and so some people feel it really strongly at the relationship level. Other people feel it really strongly at the career level. Yeah. Other people change, like, all their relationships sort of on a seven-year cycle just yes. because it's sort of our growth patterns that um, we've been able to conclude. Yeah.
0: generally, we say to ourselves, as you grow older, you know better what you mm-hmm. want. And then you are expected to be much more decisive about many things, including about relationships. But when I'm hearing you saying this, like people, when they don't process this thing, yeah, they become more decisive, but it's, it's kind of in a limiting way, isn't it? Because it's mm-hmm. coming from fear.
1: Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. That's when somebody's experienced something negative, mm-hmm. We Of course, we don't want to re-experience that same negative event. Yes. We're fearful of it. And so that's where we come up with these really strict rules of what we will and won't have. Yes. But what I see with a lot of my clients is they come to me and I'll say things like, okay, what's your vision for a relationship? What kind of relationship do you want to have? And most of the time they'll say, I don't know. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's like, well, how will you know what good looks like? And so you think, you know, it kind of makes logical sense that the older we are, the more clear we Mm. should be and know what we really want. But if you don't actually invest the time to do the work and think about these things and ask yourself the questions, that's why the divorce rates for second and third marriages actually increases. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. So it actually increases. Ah. And this is one of the key issues. It's because people assume I know better. I've learned from the first relationship. Mm. And so when I go into the second one, it will be better. But if you don't actually take the time to learn the lessons that you need to learn, you'll just repeat the same pattern. Yeah. And so in my matchmaking, this is one of the questions I get from a lot of people is they'll say to me, oh, you know, I've been divorced for five years. I've done all the work. I just want to meet people now. Mm-hmm. And I always say to them, I don't match people until you've gone through coaching with me. Yes. Yes. Because you may think you've done the work. Yes. But when I start asking you the tough questions, inevitably most people won't have the answers.
0: What is it that people can recognize in themselves or in their lives? When they say to 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 know that this is the time to get help, is there a specific science for that? So
1: I um I'm a real fan of John Gottman. He's okay. um one of the the in my opinion, biggest and best researchers in, in relationships. And he, he runs um something called the Love Lab out of the University of Washington. Love in America. Lab. Yeah. Oh, exciting. He brings couples into like this apartment and basically they video everything they do and how they talk and they analyze it like second wise. And (laughs) he's been able to, and I might misquote, I think it's 95% ability to predict whether a couple Mm. will stay together based on, you know, all the research he's done over 35 some odd years. And he says in relationships, there's two types of problems. Mm -hmm. We have problems which can be resolved and Mm -hmm. perpetual problems. Mm -hmm. So the ones that can be resolved are only 31% of all the problems that couples have. Only 31%? Only 31%. So 69% of all problems in relationships are perpetual, which means we fight about the same two, three, four problems over and over and over again. In different ways, but the same thing. Exactly. It's the same. It all comes back to our needs level. So uh, one of our our basic needs is not being met. But he calls this perpetual problem, results in something he calls gridlock. Right. Gridlock. Okay. Gridlock. So when you argue about the same problem over and over again without any resolution, and then neither of you can approach this problem anymore with anything like humor or empathy or affection, so it becomes yeah humor empathy and compassion exactly yeah okay um and then what also happens with these gridlock perpetual problems is you become much more polarized over time in your views right so you become more extreme and you expect much more from the other person and co- any kind of compromise becomes impossible once you've hit this gridlock phase. Mm-hmm. And so I always say to couples, if you've recognized you have a perpetual problem and you get to gridlock yes, on whatever topic, that for me is the point where you should reach out for help.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, and it may be, you know, whether you reach out to a therapist or a counselor or to a relationship coach, it could be you might need one or two sessions to sort of help you move past this Gridlock. Issue. Yeah, exactly. But when gridlock stays within a couple over time, which they do, this erodes trust and trust is the absolute foundation of any relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I always recommend, you know, when you see gridlock happening in your relationship, get help, get something. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. 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 And it might even be, of course, using a specialist in this area is certainly advisable, but, you know, if, if that's not doable, even having a third person, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who can be neutral to help you discuss the problem can also be very effective in those situations. Is it possible that
0: you cannot leave a gridlock situation? What situation? Well, will-
1: yeah, no, there is um, evidence to show that some couples and I mean, you say let's agree to disagree. This is mm-hmm. often it's I like to say that's sweeping an issue under the carpet. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is you can learn to cope with the disagreement, okay. with humor and affection and <laughs> compassion. <laughs> yes. And sometimes it's not about solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, a common one, you know, is people's approach to, to tidiness. So some mm-hmm. people love to be really, really neat and other people like the freedom of just being able to throw their stuff anywhere. Yeah. That is sometimes a perpetual problem that can't be solved but you can learn coping mechanisms and behaviors Mm. to help you deal with that issue Mm -hmm. together that doesn't cause anger and resentment and hatred among you. (laughs) Um, But you can find ways to laugh about it. And you can find, you know, that's where you get those inside jokes between couples where, you know, (laughs) she does something, he makes a joke, they both laugh and other people go, huh, what just happened there? (laughs)
0: Are all relationships worth
1: saving or can be saved? It's not the popular answer, but unfortunately, no. Not all relationships can and should be saved. Okay. Um, certainly, you know, anything that has to do with abuse or anything definitely um, mm-hmm. is a relationship that needs to end. But when we look back at um, the relationship phases in these couples that get stuck in the settling phase, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of those relationships, it isn't possible to create a future relationship that's satisfying for both people because the underlying values are so different. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important for people to know when getting into relationships that they understand their values and they look for somebody with shared values. Because when you have such conflicting values, you can find ways to make it work and to stay together. But what happens is you end up in these sort of I like to think of them sort of like they're living situations where it kind of works for both people, but it's more transactional. Mm. And uh, one of the things that uh, I studied with Tony Robinson, he has um, what he calls the three levels of relationship. Yeah. So you've got level one relationships which are all about selfishness. So Mm -hmm. um, each person looks for their own needs Mm -hmm. and they try and take from the other person. Mm -hmm. And a level two relationship is what he calls conditional love. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this: um, if you give what, give me what I need, I'll give you what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this is what a lot of couples live in: is this level two relationship. So, yes. um, you go first, I'll go second. We make transactions, we barter, we try and keep things really equal. But those relationships they lack passion. Yes. They yes. lack intimacy, and yes, neither partner is really fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, and. And so those relationships, the question is, can you bring them to the higher level three relationship? And if you can't do that, Mm -hmm. then the question is, should they be saved? And in a lot of Mm -hmm. cases, the answer is unfortunately no. No. But if you started out in a relationship that was good, and that's often a question, when the relationship started, was it good at the beginning? That's Mm -hmm. an indicator that yes, there's something that can be saved Mm -hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But if it didn't start out good, mm-hmm. um, it's often really difficult to change. And then yeah. the level three relationship is what, what I mentioned before, which is about unconditional love, and that's where both partners put the needs of their partner first. Yes, and they give generously.
0: Yeah, I like the word generosity. You 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 emphasise this, and it's very clear. Yeah. yeah, being generous in the relationship.
1: Absolutely. Tony Robbins has this this course that he has called Ultimate Love, and in it he talks about ten disciplines of mm. love. Mm-hmm. And I teach these a lot in the work that I do because I think they're they're phenomenal. So the first rule is about unconditional love and compassion, which mm-hmm. goes to this being generous with each other. Then there's the discipline of of courage and vulnerability. Mm. You touched on this. That's it. Yeah. Um, vulnerability is what creates intimacy yeah. in relationships. Yes. And courage. Is learning to show love when it's not easy. Yeah, that's being brave, right? When yeah. when you're the customer service at the help desk and your partner's attacking you, it takes courage. Yes, yes, to to be the strong one and to give back to them. Yes, and it's always about honesty and telling the truth. And mm. you know, when we look at what people want, when what do you want out of a relationship? Honesty and and trust yeah, 100%, is hundred percent always at the top. Hundred percent, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's shield breaker this too yeah (laughs) yes it should be but that requires us to tell the truth when it's not easy yes and telling the truth people think you know it's it's they say telling the truth is not telling a lie and that's not the whole thing Mm -hmm. telling the truth is about sharing your feelings yeah and your vulnerability to your partner And sharing your needs, it's all those things because when you ignore one of your needs and don't tell your partner, Mm -hmm. you're not being fully honest with them. Yeah. And that can cause resentment. So that's an important one. Discipline of courage and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Then one of my favorite ones is the discipline of positive intent. Yes. So it's the belief that your partner is not out to hurt you. Mm. It's a choice you make,
0: right? I choose to believe that he is not out to get me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Concerned. And a yeah. lot of people think, oh, you know, he or she's doing this because they want me to feel pain and stuff. Mm. And it's not, mm-hmm. I mean, not 100% truth. But in most cases, when, when one person hurts another person, it's not because they intended to hurt them. It's because they're trying to get one of their own needs met.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And inadvertently getting this need met has hurt yeah. somebody. So if somebody has a high need for for let's say independence and all of a sudden they feel like, you know, they're being suffocated in a relationship and they take some um free time This is their need. They needed this to happen, but it's hurt the other person because they've told a story. They no longer love me because they've gone off on their bike for a bike ride or for a run or something, which leads to another discipline, which is the discipline of giving freedom. Mm -hmm. We give freedom as a gift. It's not taken. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. your partner says, I just need some time for myself, give it freely. Allow them to go and feel that they're autonomous for themselves rather yeah. than saying, no, you can't. So yeah. give freedom. This is, I
0: think, Kelly, on this, on this particular point, this isn't automatically uh, what a lot of people associate relationship with.
1: No. It's, you see, it's not about giving freedom. It's not about gaining freedom. A lot of people think, you know, this, um, what do you have to give up to be in a relationship? And a lot of people have this fear, like I have to give up so much mm. for a relationship and they don't see the benefit mm. because they're, they're fearful of this, you know, especially if you've got a high need for independence and freedom. Yes. But when you're in a healthy relationship... Yeah. You this actually have possible. more freedom mm. to grow and to be the best version of yourself because you've got this secure foundation yeah. of being with this person who you ultimately trust. Yes. And and they, you know, generally, unconditionally want that you're happy. Yeah. yeah. This is the, the biggest gift from a relationship that I think when you're coming from this, what am I giving up? You don't see the huge benefit, this. This bliss status of level five and six of the relationship, where yes. you have everything that you need, and you know, and going through life together, um, it's like you know, we don't send people to war on their own because yeah. we know people are stronger in twos. The last two um disciplines which I mm-hmm. I absolutely love. One is honorable language. And this is so important. Mm. And this is about making a pact with yourself primarily of yeah. never to use language which hurts. You know, people say the tongue can hurt more than any weapon. Absolutely. For sure. Oh yes. yes. And <laughs> science shows one of the worst things you can ever say, and this is predictive of relationships that fail mm-hmm. is to threaten to leave a relationship. It kills Trust in an yeah. instant. Yeah. And once you've said those words, you can't take them back. And yeah. there's always then that question in the other person's mind will yeah. they leave? And that's yeah. one of our biggest fears is abandonment as yeah. human beings. Yes,
0: We're yes. Definitely.
1: Definitely. So you need to make a pact with yourself. And, and for all those in long term relationships and marriages, um, or if you're starting out new today, make the pact with yourself that you will never, ever, ever threaten to leave your relationship. Mm -hmm. That's so important. And also, you know, speak with love and admiration and praise Mm -hmm. instead of things like, I mean, to say to your partner, I hate you. Mm -hmm. In the moment, it feels like a release, but it Mm -hmm. does damage. Mm -hmm. And so it's about being conscious of not using these words to our partner, the the person we're in love with and we want to share our life with. And we often speak to them in such horrible, hurtful ways that we would never speak to a stranger in. Really, a discipline, and disciplines are not easy. Disciplines (laughs) take time and reminders and practice
0: all the time, consistently. I think this is what I get the most: is creating a healthy relationship. It's a a discipline. It's not going to come automatically. Love is definitely not enough. Love is the foundation of this, but it's the actions as as the actions that comes with, and the choices you make. And this is it: the discipline that you were talking about is. Yeah. You just make a pact with yourself to be this way, this way, this way, and then you you'll see how your life.
1: Yeah, love is a choice. Yes, I mean we fall in love. I mean falling Mm -hmm. is is completely voluntary or involuntary, right? We fall in love, but staying in love in love is a choice. I touched on this at the beginning, and I said I would come back to this. Yes, about. Um, this couple bubble. Concept, yes, couple bubbles. yes. One of my favorites. And it comes from the discipline of respecting your relationship. Creating a couple bubble is really about saying it's you and me against the world. And we're in this sort of like, you know, invisible bubble where when outside forces try and damage or hurt our relationship, we've agreed together as a couple that we're going to protect our relationship. And one of the biggest challenges for this couple bubble is um, is called managing thirds. So any third mm. party. Yeah. Children are a massive third party <laughs> yes. in, in your relationship. And like you said, a lot of couples will put their children higher than their spouse. Yes, correct. And if you've got multiple children, you know, three children, your spouse is now number four.
0: Yeah, correct.
1: And over time, it, it doesn't seem, you know, in any day or week that this is, harmful to a relationship, but over time it erodes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I work with singles or couples, we we look at how do you create this couple bubble? And one of the things is having rules mm. for how you manage thirds. So thirds are children, um, your own parents, your friends, your colleagues, your hobbies and your careers. Yes, And it's about coming up with an agreement together. It means sitting down and talking. How do we do this? It also means coming up with mutual agreements for what's okay and what's not okay in a relationship. So there's a new term called micro-cheating. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. <laughs> so micro-cheating is all these little things that happen, which if we look at the sort of definition of cheating, which at the very extreme, you know, it's about um, having sex with another person or having an emotional connection with another with person. Other purpose. Yeah. But micro-cheating are those little moments where you share something intimate with a member of the opposite sex. Mm. And when we think about this, when we talk about sharing something intimate, the first time you tell a story, it has huge impact. Mm -hmm. The second and third and fourth time you tell the same story, you're no longer so passionate about it. And when you share something intimate with somebody outside your relationship, Mm -hmm. you've taken away that possibility to share it with your spouse. And we have so many opportunities in a day for these micro cheating moments where we cheat our partner out of that gift. <laughs> Each couple has to define their own rules for mm. what that means for okay. them. Yeah. So in some couples, it becomes, you know, same sex friends. Um, right. Or it's not same sex, opposite sex friends. Sorry. Yes. Is it okay within our relationship that I go and have lunch opposite sex friend alone? Yes. That's something you need to negotiate for some couples. It's absolutely fine for other couples. It's a complete no go, you know, and so you need to define that and dating apps. I mean, this is something I see (laughs) a lot more in in some of my younger clients, but they're totally happy that their partners on a dating app as a way to meet new people. Whereas yes. you know, when I'm looking at my divorce clients, it's like, oh, you know, Whoa. completely not okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you don't talk about these things, expectations are completely different. Yes. So to create your couple bubble, you need to have rules for what that looks like. And mm-hmm. Stan Hacken, who created this concept of the couple bubble, he recommends making um, 10 commandments for your relationship, Okay, which is a written sort of agreement of, having this discussion these are the things that are important to us as a couple and these are the things that we will respect Mm -hmm. in keeping our relationship sacred Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's a fantastic concept and absolutely um, this is
0: really to avoid also misunderstanding absolutely and to provide enough time and space to hash it out
1: yep definitely and be conscious about it and think about it because a lot of times you know when when someone hears us talking about micro cheating, they're like, "Oh, I've never thought about that." Yeah, before. I was. Yeah, exactly. This is new to me. This, yeah. <laughs> this micro cheating. So it's cheating important concept. to think about it and talk yeah. about it and agree. Jealousy, Kelly. So jealousy. The question I get a lot <laughs> is: Jealousy healthy in a relationship? Mm, exactly. Yes. Jealousy comes from two points. Um, One is a point of insecurity, Mm -hmm. and the other is a point of lack of trust. Mm -hmm. So neither of these are healthy in a relationship, Mm -hmm. and we want to address both of these topics. Yes. So if you're feeling jealous about something your partner's doing, it's because it's touching, it's triggering something that's insecure in you. Mm -hmm. so it comes back to again this is work you need to do this is not your partner's problem this is your problem to deal with and it's a point to say okay maybe i need to get some help to deal with with this and in the last um podcast that we did i talked a lot about attachment styles yes yes and so jealousy is often sort of the warning sign that we have an attachment issue that we need to work on ourselves yes the other one is then the trust issue. So if you're feeling a lot of jealousy, often people will say, I can't trust my partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can't trust your partner, you don't have a healthy relationship. This is also relating to the discipline that you're talking about. Oh, I choose to trust. I choose to trust. And I always think, you know, people say you need to earn my trust. Mm. I have a different view on that. I think trust is a gift you give. Mm-hmm. And trust can be broken.
0: Yes. That it can and be broken. If, yeah.
1: if we look at our, our wonderful fun Esther Perez, she'll say trust can re- be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. But trust can be broken. And so you need to give this gift of trusting your partner. Yeah. And asking yourself the question, you know, is my insecurity what's driving this jealousy? Is there something that I've experienced in the past that whenever my new partner does the same behavior, it triggers this insecurity in me. Yeah. And oftentimes We tell stories that aren't, like I said, based in reality. So what we think happened almost never happened in real life. Yeah. And so another one of the disciplines is learning to let go of things and learning to let go of our stories of what we think Mm -hmm. happened. That is so true because Mm -hmm. we started in our head
0: with the perceived imbalances. Mm -hmm. So this is to let go of this so there's no not too much blinders. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's, I always say it's, you know, there's this, this saying, we bury the hatchet. Mm-hmm. And often in couples, what they do is they'll have a discussion and they'll bury the hatchet. Mm-hmm. But then the next time they get an argument, they walk back, dig up the couch <laughs> and bump the other person over the head with it. Yes. And letting go is really about saying, I've buried the hatchet. I'm never going to walk back and pick up that one again and, and use it against you. I, I'm going to really let it go and... And let it stay there, and that—that yeah. that is a discipline. Yeah, I love the key message that
0: a healthy relationship requires discipline, and that's that's the bottom line that I get from this
1: this conversation. Definitely, so <laughs> uh, you know, relationships take investment, mm-hmm. um, they take work, and they take energy to be healthy, and they're so rewarding when you put in the investment. They're so rewarding, and we wouldn't do anything. I mean, you can't expect to have a career that's successful without putting in energy.
0: Definitely. Definitely people
1: expect relationships that should somehow just happen (laughs) (laughs) and you know always be easy and stuff. And that's not reality. We need to create relationships based in reality. Definitely. That means sometimes you need to sacrifice, you need to let something go because your couple bubble is important and you know your hobby is not gonna take precedent today because your spouse dealing with a crisis and needs Mm -hmm. you, you know, and Mm -hmm. when you're in level one relationship and you're selfish, you say, well, I have, you know, plans tonight to go and do my hobby or play a sport or whatever. So I'm going to do that because it's for me. Yeah. Whereas the level three relationship says, well, you know what? I'm in this relationship. I'm going to be here. I'm going to give generously to my spouse and I'm going to miss out on this today. Yeah, But then you've got this opportunity for intimacy, connection, vulnerability, all these fantastic things that make relationships so wonderful.
0: Would you share with the the listeners if they would like to work with you, how to work with you?
1: Yeah, well, I think what I'll do, I mean, we covered a lot of topics today. And I think for many, it might be helpful. I will create... Um, some kind of conflict quick guide and I'll put in all this stuff about the relationship (laughs) phases so people can refer to it. So I'll put that on my website. If people want to go to kellybrandly.com that's K-E-L-L-Y B-R-A-N-D-L-I and then forward slash uplift my life. And also on that page, I'll put a link where if anybody's interested in talking to me, I always offer free coaching sessions for the first session. So they can sign up for a session, they can have a chat with me, we can talk about their own personal situation and needs and see if uh, if there's a way for us to work together.
0: That's perfect. Thank you, Kelly. And, and thank you for all the listeners who've been joining us on this really lively and engaging <laughs> discussion for you all also when it's time to get help you have two wonderful helpers here Kelly you know how to reach her and if you would love to let go this trap emotion relating to your past relationship or your own relationship with yourself feel free to reach out to me via www.upliftmylife.today and in the meantime thank you Kelly and thank Thank you everyone for being here and see you in the next episode bye